from Chardon Physical Therapy. This is Chardon Biz, a show about local entrepreneurs and innovators sharing their stories, who are the people behind our favorite businesses. Hi listeners, Dave Nelson here, host of Chardon Biz and the owner of Chardon Physical Therapy. This is the final episode, part three of the story of Bill Cox and comic art fans. If you have not listened to episode one or two, I would advise, go ahead, take a listen to those two, and we'll see you back at this episode. Enjoy the show. So what where, what was going on was I had, I had taken on a lot of other responsibilities leading up to that. I was writing a lot, a lot more content. I was trying to force myself back into making, you know, finding a way to love calf, even though I was still pondering getting a job. So I was doing all these things, writing all these uh, market-related reports and trying to make the site really um, kind of, uh, I wanted, wanting to make it like really, really relevant. And and it was starting to work. I was getting lots of positive feedback about what I, the things I was writing, but it was just killing me. It was back to, I'm, now I'm working, I, I found this great thing to add value to CAF, but it added 20 hours Time. more more work uh, onto my schedule. And uh, and so it was it was, it was uh, it was it was a challenge, and then the pandemic hit, and what was it was really odd. You know, everybody we all remember it, of course. You know, when it happened, we were all thinking. I mean, if you, depending on what your business was, you know, you were wondering, am I going to be able to go into work this you know, next week uh, or next month? How am I, you know, if I'm self-employed, like uh, you know, how what happens if the business I'm working with goes out of business? How, you know, if I'm getting advertising from them, like for me, I, I'm working with all these art dealers, and I have the site, and I'm thinking, and they're all thinking that they're going to start losing money in really, really major ways, and um, you know, because for them, they a lot of their business depends on getting out in front of people at conventions and whatnot, and when uh, when they don't have conventions, you know, they're not going to be able to buy inventory because a lot of times, you know, collectors will show up at shows and the dealers will be buying art from them. So it makes, uh, it's, you know, as, as an economy and an ecosystem, dealers and reps really rely on that. Art reps rely on being able to get cons to sell the artwork that, from the artists that they're repping and stuff. So now all of a sudden we have no cons and uh, everything looked really you know, bleak immediately, right? March 1st, it seemed like the entire country locked down and cancellations of everything for the next four to six months were already in place. So, um, what, you know, so I felt like I had to do something. And the thing was, not only was it for my own self-preservation, but I'm looking at all these people who are my clients and, and, and the clients are, you know, the people who use the site too, but I am looking by and large at the advertisers. I'm looking at the dealers who I work with and, uh, so I had to pick up the phone. I really, I always, I, I wouldn't answer the phone nine times out of 10 if a dealer called me. I'd, I'd wait, get their voicemail, and then I'd send them an email reply telling them to, you know, I like it. How about just email to me? Then I've got a paper trail. Don't call me. I don't want to talk to you. And, you know, it's still back to that stupid not wanting to, to talk to people, which was kind of stupid. You know, again, it's just lame, but I, I, I still just kind of approached it that way. Because for me, I needed everything written down because juggling all the different stuff with chips and whatnot. Uh, it made uh, it just made things easier that way. But I, w- I really wouldn't answer the phone. But the pandemic hits. Now everybody's calling me, and I have to answer the phone, and I have to talk to them. And you know, and I ha- and I, I told them I'm he- I want to be here to figure out a way to make this thing work. And so somebody pitched the idea of doing a virtual con in March. So immediately, and and 
it was it came from a collector because there was actually going there is a, an art con in New Jersey and that it was that month and it got canceled or maybe it was like April beginning of April but it got canceled so the collectors like why don't you do something like that and and, and I'd already had the concept that I was working on but uh, for a virtual convention but I knew I wouldn't have the work done until May so in March I decided to I'm like these guys want me to do something I'll just try it I'll make this ad hoc programming thing work and I'll put together a con and uh, really it was only for 10, 10 collectors who were, knew that it was going to happen. So we did a one day show and they all sold a lot of artwork and as it was, and we didn't promote it, but as, as the day was going on, I've got people emailing me who want to be able to have a booth and show their stuff. And I had to, you know, go through it, explaining how to get, how to, how to actually participate in it. And the show was over and it was a huge hit. And as virtual shows go, there was we. I mean, I, I guarantee you that we were the first people to put together anything that would be considered a virtual event. You know, after the pandemic started in all of uh, pop culture, you know, any this is any still hobby. March, right? Yeah, this, this is, is still it's still March. March. Yeah, it's yeah. literally like the third week of uh, being into the pandemic, and we had come up with a way to host this first this first con and it, and it worked flawlessly and it was just a day i think we we turned it on at noon and ended it at 8 p.m and you had panels that were associated with no this, this one we had nothing one. i had right. absolutely nothing with this one we just we were just going to experiment with seeing if people would be interested other if collectors would be interested and they were and in and then dealers were some of the people who were emailing me saying how do i get a booth what do i got to do and it was so the dealers i had to turn on to it so but 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 I had been talking to a couple of the dealers leading into that about how um, how I, about this bigger plan, doing a real really polished con in May for them, and just figuring it would be a one-off uh, event that would uh, you know that would just kind of tide us over because at this point everybody's really thinking that by fall things going to be back to normal, right? We're gonna we're gonna be able to go to the New York Comic Con in uh, in October and hit any of the other major shows that are in the fall. So, so I was just looking for a way to kind of get us through the, the you know, this, this point in time. And I really felt that, um, you know, I looked at it as if I was creating a new business, you know, and, 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 and I was talking to dealers about, well, you know, Hey, I, you know, I, this really is something new and, uh, you know, maybe we need to think of it that way or how, you know, I don't know how, how to do that, but we, you know, but I don't have time to even think about it because Maureen and I are, are going to be focused on just launching this new this new concept we wanted to launch it as its own website but uh we we chickened out and just integrated it into comic art fans like we did with the first show but conceptually everything was very sound you know we made it that only premium members could have a booth at the show so there so that kind of gave it a buy-in that somebody had to do which wasn't a big seller wasn't a big draw as it turned out but the other concept that we had was this was going to be a saturday sunday show and the show was going to open at, say, 2 p.m. for the general public on Saturday, we decided to let premium members have two hours early access to the show to buy artwork ahead of anybody who wasn't a premium member. And that was the, th that was the eye-opening thing for me. That was, had to have been successful. That was the ticket sale. I mean, yeah. all, all of a sudden, people who had never supported CAF in, in, at any point in time, they've been members of the site since 2003, 2004, 2005, now that you know they're willing to spend we let people buy a quarterly membership for $35 or an annual membership for 75 and i must have sold like you know 150 quarterly memberships 
and and probably that many new pr uh, full premium membership people and by and large all these people had never been premium before and had been members of the site for more than 10 years so you know i was like wow you know all this effort i was trying to put in to add value into a premium membership yeah. i finally found something that everybody can agree on is valuable and that's and that's access everybody wants access to buy art you're talking about like um, what we had talked about is what does a collector feel is like worth finding value in, and that is like uh, the one up. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We. I, that could be any collection. Right. right. Any. Well, anything that gives you an edge against the other collectors, because yes. you know, if if you like Jack Kirby Thor artwork, I you know, I guarantee you, there's 30 other guys that would like to get a nice Jack Kirby Thor piece in their collection. So. How do you get to be the first person to know about that? Well, you know, there's a lot through our site. You can for the premium membership, we we email people as art is added into uh, a dealer site. We let you know within five minutes via email if they have a new artwork added. So people will pay for a premium membership today because we we do that. And that was actually a service that we created right at the beginning of 2020. That was like the first project I had, and we had just gotten that done when the pandemic hit. And it's it's this feature that literally will send out an email within five minutes of, of, of a piece of artwork added to a dealer site that we host. So, and people love that. But so, it, so it's all back to, you know, that edge, giving, giving you as a buyer a competitive edge. Because we're, we're all friends, but at the end of the day, we're all competing for the same art. So is it friendly competition or it's, is there another term? Oh, no, it always, no, it's a lot of friendly competition. I mean, guys will, you know, like going into an auction, if there's a particular Kirby Thor piece in there, you know, even though there's 30 people that are, want to buy it, if I'm friends with a guy who's really interested in it, we might talk in advance and say, I'll, leave, I'll lay off this one okay. because I know you really want no. it, you know, so I won't bid on it. But there's still going to be 29, 28 other guys who are bidding on it. Mm -hmm. But at least one of your competitors has bowed out. And, you know, that's kind of the sport, you know, the thing that, that'll happen a lot, you know. You, Collectors will get mad at each other when it's like, I didn't realize I was bidding against you, David. If you would have just told me, I right. would have stopped. Why we you and I were bidding against each other. We drove it from twenty-five thousand to thirty thousand. You dummy, you could just cost me five grand. So, you know, so yes, but people you know but again, by and large, people will pay for that kind of uh, advantage. Mm -hmm. And so so but as so that was the interesting thing we added and and it worked. You know, I think we probably raised between you know ten and twelve thousand dollars in premium memberships, uh, and most most of them were for uh, admittance, you know, early admittance, because otherwise they would have been because they were buying them in the last forty eight hours, as word got out that you had to be premium to get in early. So I knew that they weren't happening weeks in advance because those would have been from people who wanted to set up you know okay. a booth because that took time, but. Um, but yeah, so it's just the early access. So, but one of the things you know, going into that, I knew I was going to have panels, virtual panels with um, with artists, and I think we had a couple dealers. We did a couple talk shows, but we were trying to do like four or five hours of panels on Saturday and Sunday, and I had never done anything really with YouTube or Facebook in terms of live streaming at that point. I had done uh, interviews with collectors, but they were pre-recorded and then edited, and I got really bored with those because they just took so much time. You know, literally, you know, you'd interview somebody for two hours, and then you'd have take me ten hours to get it polished and show, and and then post it to YouTube, and then nobody would watch it. So I kind of gave up on doing doing things on YouTube and Facebook. But for this show, we had to come up with a, with panels, and I had to live stream them, and I had never done that before. So the week before the the first show in may 2020 
I got three art dealers to go to, to agree to be on a show with me. And we would just do this show called Origin Stories. And we would just talk about how each of us got in the hobby. And but for me, it was more of this is my training for how to turn on a live broadcast and turn it off. Nice. And how to interact with the chat and everything and, and try to understand that. So we did it and it, and it was kind of fun. You know, I mean, I think we, we probably talked for an hour and a half, all four, all four of us. And maybe we had about 20 to 50 comments come in on the chat. Then maybe we had 15 or 20 people watch the show. But it, but wow, it was like, you know, it's pretty cool. So we do the panels that weekend and everything went out, went, went off without a hitch. It was great and everybody loved it. But I kind of came out of it saying, you know, all right, maybe maybe even if the pandemic's over six months from now, I want to do another show. I, if I'm going to do this, I want to do these every six months because I want to kind of capitalize on the opportunity that we have to do a show. And rather than it being an annual show, we'll do it twice a year. So I had already started planning ahead to do the November show. And what kind of what came out of that was I, I started realizing that, you know, hey, we should probably keep doing a live stream at least once a week to keep people used to content like this happening live in front of them and the you know two of the dealers of the three you know were like oh we don't want to get overexposed that's crazy You're, you know this is a, we you know yeah that was fun but it's not that fun we don't really want to do it uh too often but we'll do it with you every once in a while and my friend mike the guy who had me sitting on the floor uh, mike mike berkey uh he's now my he's a very good friend of mine he was like i'll do it all the time just let me you know i'll be I'll, if you want to do it 10 times a week i'll do it 10 times a week with you <laughs> Because he had, you know, he was having that good a time doing the shows. So, uh, so we really just started out as a weekly show, and I don't even, you know, whatever night it was, but we did them once a week. Uh, but it was kind of neat. By like the end of June of 2020, uh, you know, I was seeing, you know, we were going from, you know, 20 people watching it live to 40 people watching it live to 50 people watching it live, and uh, and people started interacting in the chat with each other you know that it, oh hey nice to see you ted you know you know we haven't emailed in a while it's, you know and i i'm watching the conversations going on while i'm conducting you know being the mc of these conversations that we're doing but it was so really cool to be seeing these people reconnect or make connections like you know a guy being like man uh, you know man ruben i've seen your calf gallery so long it's so great to meet you you know so people are like they're they're becoming acquainted with each other and they're becoming friends even more and as it turns out to you know the feedback I got from doing these interviews is that that's been happening all along on CAF. I just never really paid attention oh, to it neat. because I was hiding from it. I didn't want to know. But, you know, these all these relationships happen because people are emailing each other, you know, communicating, leaving comments on other people's art. Well, you know, I didn't, I knew, of course I see it all going on, but I didn't really realize how important that was to everybody, how, how CAF built these camaraderies just by being itself. You know, like, like I said, it was like I built it and then Everybody did with it as they saw fit and got out of it what they wanted. It must have been neat to see that interactive community happening. Like All right. Well, then I'm eyes. seeing it happening live. And right. and I'm like, wow, this is really powerful. And I, but the thing is, you know, and I didn't realize it had been going on all along, but it, but not in a live format like this. Here here it's happening because it's not like a forum. In a forum, you post, you come back, maybe you get notified that somebody commented, so you go back and look at it. These are people having carrying on conversations um, and, and doing it with me too. I mean, they, they, you know, in the chat, asking me questions or asking one of the other dealers questions. And, and I, I was like, man, there's, there's a lot of power in, uh, in this, you know, as far as being a, a tool to kind of make the hobby better. And uh, even though I wasn't like, again, 
you know, I, I never wanted to be in front of the hobby. I felt like, you know, this is with COVID still going on. We need this. And clearly I'm like, boy, all these people want to hang out. They're looking for this. We need to do this. So Bill, what was the format uh, and also the evolution of CAF? Of the CAF updates on the Comic Art Live channel, essentially I wanted to have another touch point that wasn't just doing an interview show with a couple of dealers with me. So I decided I was going to take a something that I do, was doing already. Every week I was writing a CAF update on Thursdays or Fridays and sending that out to our mailing list. And it just kind of encompassed what what the week was, whether it was a, a rehash on the dealer reports for their market data, sales, that sort of thing, or popular artwork. Occasionally I was writing things like, I like these three artworks from this past week. And so I thought, well, I'm gonna take the CAF mailing that I do and convert that into something called the CAF update. And, uh, and so I, the first couple of those, I just spent about 15 minutes recording myself talking about popular artwork or rehashing our market reports that we were writing about just what the sales were like that week, which dealers sold the most art, and just putting it into a 15-minute segment. But back to how things were originally when I did some interviews, I hated doing uh, recorded interviews because it always took so much time to go back and clean it up and then post it. But the thing was, I'd posted a couple of those in June and July of 2020, and I would get three or 400 views in the first day. And I thought, well, wow, that's pretty amazing. I didn't think anybody would enjoy that. But my disdain for doing recorded interviews because of the extra work, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to just start doing these live. It'll be so much easier. I'll just turn turn the camera on on YouTube and Facebook at the same time and I'll just start talking about the, you know the weekend comic art collecting and uh, was that scary at first by the way like to go live like you can't edit right well out. but I like that I mean because at the end of the day if you screw up you say the wrong thing it doesn't matter you can't take it back you know you can't edit it and fix it and I, I kind of like that because I'm not I'm not the best public speaker and I can just riff but what i found out was that you know once i turned the camera on and i was live and there were people watching it became really easy to kind of just start talking it's almost like you're i mean in a way it's almost like you're talking to yourself you, you know you, i've got a script sort of that i'm following because i know what i want to talk about but i just so i just start hitting on the points and the things that i want to discuss and then people are throwing questions at me or making or, or commenting on things and then i can interact with the with the audience so those first few shows like that were just great. I mean, I was on my own and, you know, I didn't have the other dealers with me being part of the interview process that, that I was doing and it just clicked. I, you know, I really, it, I felt like, wow, this is really, you know, it works. People enjoy it. And, you know, again, this is still early pandemic, you know, we're four months in and no, nobody's been to a comic book convention or a comic art convention, anything of that sort. They've not been able to even go hang out with their mom, right? I mean, because we, we haven't been able to get together. So I start doing these shows that are just me talking to them. And it was it was a hit. You know, people people just love tuning in and, and uh, chatting with me. I mean, and the viewership wasn't maybe great. We're still sitting around 50, 60 people might be watching a show live. But um, but it was, uh, but it was again, that was a pretty good turnout. If you have a panel at a comic book convention, You'd be happy if you had 50, 60 people sitting in the room watching you talk about whatever your panel is going to be about. So, uh, so I, you know, I felt it was a really meaningful platform, and I, and I knew that the people enjoyed it. And again, it was giving people, you know, collectors a reason to hang out. 
And that was something that you know, we used to have uh, like a live chat built into ComicArtFans.com. And people were always in there. I never, I never went into it, but I'd always, if, I, if I'd happen to go and look, there'd always be like five or six guys in there just chatting. And, you know, and that's just not me. I don't use the internet as a place to kind of hang out, or I never did before this. Just not my, you know, not my personality. I don't, I don't like forums. I don't like uh, those sorts of things. But as a part of the hobby, I, it, I could see clearly that, uh, you know, it's, it's a way for collectors to kind of communicate. Like on Facebook today, people will start message chains, right? And they'll have 40 or 50 people in them, and they'll be talking about, for us, it's talking about comic art. But it's kind of how we interact with each other. And so these, uh, the CAF updates as well as the interviews became, became that, it became a place for collectors to hang out, watch me talk, but also interact with each other and build friendships. And that was, the, that, 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 that was really the interesting, the most interesting part of it for me was just seeing people really enjoy the fact that they were all hanging out together in this virtual environment, of course, in a chat that nobody can see each other. But as, so as time went, went on and I started doing more interviews, it, it, the cool thing was, was that you were able to start putting a face to the name that you saw, uh, you know, on comicartfans.com or you saw them from the chat. You know, I never had met uh, a collector like uh, Jordan, who I've got on the show tonight, for instance, on a sales show, seen his name for years. But here, all of a sudden, I do an interview with him and now you know now we're best friends because you know I've I, I knew his collection I've seen him in the chat I knew he was a very nice guy and then all of a sudden I get to finally meet him uh, and we hit it off but the thing is everybody else in the chat gets to meet him too and they all had the same thing you know view as me or most of them never met him in person before but you see him uh, you've known his calf collection you've, you've known uh, a lot about him but then all of a sudden you get to know them in person and you see them and 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 that's been like the best part of all of uh, you know these chats. It's just knowing that I'm kind of bringing people together and making, creating friendships or strengthening friendships that you know because now you actually know more about these people. So the calf the calf update sort of began to evolve into me starting to do my own one-on-one -on -one interviews as well. Like I would almost I'd start off the calf update with an interview and then I would end the interview maybe an hour into it and then I would do my you know the week the week in comic art collecting mm -hmm. after that but but I really got to the point where I realized that uh, you know I couldn't do that so because it just didn't give the person I was interviewing really enough time I didn't want to be like Johnny Carson you know bot, you know hitting a, a collector for just a, a small amount of time it just never felt like I was devoting enough time to them so I started doing my own weekly interview as well so I would have a show with the dealers three dealers with me doing an interview then I would do a show just with me interviewing another collector, and then I would have the CAF update. So, you know, so it kind of was committing me to doing about three shows a week, by and large, at least two, but generally three. And it was funny. I would start asking the collectors, you know, for interviews. I'd say, "Do you want to do you want to be interviewed just by me, or do you want to have it with the other three dealers?" And people just, at the end of the day, only wanted me to be the one to interview them. So. So I knew that I was going to be semi looking forward to kind of phasing out the inter interviews with the three other dealers, even though they had helped me kind of start the platform, only because people didn't really want to talk to the dealers. They wanted to talk to me. I mean, I was, the, you know, I don't want to say I was the celebrity, but I was the person that people wanted to interact with. 
because they you know they knew me they bought art from the dealers and everything but at the end of the day they wanted to talk to me they wanted to ask me questions too you know or talk to me about calf what's what the sites meant to them and it's a different it's harder to say that when you're sitting in a room with three other you know uh, original comic art dealers to right. talk talk to me about what calf has meant to them so the cool thing that for me also was that I began to learn how important calf has been to the hobby in the uh, you know it's 19 years now but uh, you know at this point calf's been out there for 17 and a half 18 years and I never really realized how important calf was to collectors how because it, you know it built their hobby you know it, you know built it built their collections for them you know they got they were able to buy and sell art they made friendships all these things were going on on the site and and nobody really ever talked to me about it you know, even though I kind of knew what was going on, but I didn't want to know, or I didn't really know. But all of a sudden, these everybody would come on, and uh, invariably every conversation, somebody was thanking me for calf, thanking me for the you know the friendships that they were able to uh, create just by being able to hang out in a community where they can uh, just share their love for the hobby, and you know, it really made me think differently about comic art fans because, you know, to me it was always just a big gallery site, and I knew those I knew the conversations were happening, but I didn't realize how special. The site was to everybody, and and in turn, that's how I started to realize having having the opportunity for them to interact with me, uh, whether it was in an interview or through the chat, why it was so important to everybody because they've been wanting to high five me, but because I always like wanted to be the mechanic and not take any credit for anything leading up to this, uh, this was like their first opportunity to do it, and you know, and that's how I, in business I've always been like that, you know. The, the, We've talked a little bit about chips. I mean, chips was never about me. You know, I, mm -hmm. I never, I never used my Facebook site to, to, or my profile to be like, you know, I'm a strong local businessman, and it's my family running that business. Uh, it's, you know, these businesses aren't about me. I don't, I've never made, and it's, a, it's a way to, it's a strategy, right? I mean, most businesses would do that, but I've always just been, I just like the business to be its own thing, and it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not about me as a person. You know, it's me, about me trying to create something that's a good viable product and you, you hope to have that support so but you know there's nothing wrong with that approach to to business and marketing and just saying you know how how vested i am in the community and all those sorts of things but I, i'm not comfortable saying that I, even though i am all those things i i've never been one to go out and talk about it like that that's been described to me by the way as your blueprint mm -hmm. like i've shared your story with someone else and they were like oh that's his blueprint of like if you wanted to start another business mm -hmm. he has to follow that same exact blueprint like you are in it for a very specific reason and it's come it, it's just it's shown in the success that you've been having so you're right no I, I do I feel fortunate that yeah that people don't because a lot of people could look at it and say I want to know the business owner I want to be able to know who I'm patronizing when I go to their miniature golf course or whatnot mm -hmm. but I you know I I, I just never approached it like that. I was just like, I want I want it to, chips to stand on its own. It doesn't need me to be the business person of the year, even though I was, right? That was my mom's doing. You know, she was the one who filled out my application okay. and submitted it. I didn't I didn't do it. Um, so, but it was nice. It was gratifying, you know, when that happened in 08. Well, it was in 09 when I got the award for business person of the year in Chardon okay. by, from the chamber. But, uh, but yeah, it was my mom who wrote all the stuff and uh you know and got kind of pushed me out there so but it was nice you know i got got to be up in front of uh all my peers all the business owners in town and uh you know important people at the theater and talk about 
myself a little bit and get the award from Randy Sharp and you know it was it was fun it was a it was an interesting moment but that was probably the only time in my business career where I had that kind of uh, experience where I was putting myself out there and if it wasn't for my mom I would never have done it so so speed it up years later and now you have this opportunity but more of an intimate setting with like a hobby that like you're you're in love with Mm -hmm. so that must have been really cool both both ways right you get a chance to interview with folks that have been with you for a long time right you get to learn them uh in such an intimate setting like that Uh, that's cool so um you hit on the third show which involved the dealers so can you share with me like what did that look like when did that start why did it start well the dealers was kind of the first show actually the dealers show was Sorry, it's kind of hard to, at the end of the day, I, I tried, I wanted to, remember I was trying to say, I felt like I needed to save the hobby when COVID hit. So my first show was having three of my dealer friends sit in on a chat with me where I was interviewing a, four, a, you know, a fifth person, basically. So that was kind of how it started. And I was doing it for, to give them that little extra PR. I'm thinking, you know, and I, and I was thinking they would rotate, like I would bring in new people. And because I wanted to kind of share that opportunity with other dealers but it turned out a lot of people don't like to be in front of the camera and so you know that was that was kind of the the downside of that i wanted to help other other dealers but not always would they want to like get on camera with me and chat and the same thing with collectors i would reach out to collectors to do interviews and typically like half the people would say no you know i don't want to be on camera or talk about my collection but thanks you know but it's just not not really uh, the approach people want. So I had the I had the talk show that with the dealers that was really uh, that evolved into just interviewing people. I was had the hope that um, viewers would be attracted to that dealer and go and possibly purchase from that dealer. Was well, that in a, in a in a way, but we never talked about that. It was okay. more about just kind of humanizing people as well, because a lot of these dealers people bought from, but never they don't go to cons, right? So they buy all their art online. So being able to put put somebody in front of them again it's just like putting collectors in front of them it's it's basically it's getting it's letting you get to know these people in a different way than just oh it's you know will gabrielle from comic art page and he's he sells art and i buy from him now now you actually get to see him talk about the hobby he's interviewing collectors with me that sort of thing and it kind of lets people know a bit more about him i mean for me i thought it was a great opportunity for anybody who sat down with me to do that just because it was it, it was putting these people out in front of other people, you know, as, uh, in front of collectors and letting the collectors get to know them in a way that they would never have that that opportunity to do it. So, but I really only stuck with uh, three three dealers: my good friend Mike, Glenn, and Will, because they were the ones who were willing to do it with me begin at the beginning. So I kind of so I didn't really try to grab other dealers to help me with that, but uh, but it, but it evolved into, um, like I said, just needing to do more of my own shows. So that's really, so I had my one-on-one interview shows became more popular. I mean, literally I, there would be weeks where I didn't have somebody who wanted to be interviewed by, uh, with, with the dealers present. So I would be doing two interviews a week by, you know, August or September of 2020 by myself because people just wanted to talk to me, not, not have the dealers. But I still always tried to work the dealers in. We started doing shows that were, uh, we were like the major auction house in the hobby is Heritage and Comic Link are really the two, but Heritage is the biggest one. So I had the idea after one of their big signature auctions, which they do five a year to do a recap after the show or after the auction and do that as a show the following Tuesday. It would end on a Sunday. Tuesday, we would do a Heritage auction recap where we're just talking about 
uh, you know, the art that sold, you know, was it high, was it low, was it fair, was it a steal, you know, should the buyer be sad because they overpaid or whatever. We started doing those shows too, and they, and they were a hit because people wanted to hear what we had to say about the market. And, and so, so I, I was able to evolve the dealer show into, into different things like that, where we, weren't, we didn't need to always interview somebody. We could, just, we could talk about the hobby in a, in a selling you know, and sales in a, in a general way. And you know, it was great PR for, for Heritage, for instance. I mean, they never, they never asked me about it. I just started doing it. I think maybe I asked permission the first time. I don't know. But, um, but, but, they, but they, everybody enjoyed sitting in on those shows because they wanted to know what we felt about where the hobby was going because the, the immediate thing we noticed by the fall of 2020 was sales were starting to increase and on items like if an item might have sold for ten thousand dollars before the pandemic and it, it might be selling at thirteen or fourteen thousand dollars six months in and so we were seeing this trend that the hobby was starting to you know not nosedive like we thought when without having you know this in the in-person cons and things like that what we were seeing was the prices on everything was actually going up and it was you know it was a head scratcher because we couldn't none of us could really figure out why that was happening because it just, it should have been the opposite but in, in fact it was not it was the hobby was actually stronger than we could have ever imagined and uh and it but it took us a few of those shows to really hit home that that was what was happening because it just seemed like an aberration you know why are why did heritage just have a record setting you know auction it just didn't make sense have you understood why at this point not really i think that um the hobby has gone just like the housing market has you know there's supply and demand and the thing with original comic art is it's a one of a kind you know it's not it's not like comic books where you can have uh you know a thousand high-grade copies of uh, say giant size x-men number one which could sell for you know i don't even know what comics sell for to be honest but it maybe it sells for three or five thousand dollars but giant size x-men number one only has 48 original comic art pages for it and how do you set a value on that i've always felt that the art should be more valuable than the comics right but so if a 10.0 graded giant size x-men number one could, could sell for fifty thousand dollars and again anybody who's in the comics they're probably laughing at me but i'm just using that as a reference uh well the thing is there's at least 10 other ones in the same grade so in, when i look at that it's like if you have 10 things that are exactly the same there's going to be a cap at some point for the value on that because it's uh it can't go any higher but of those 48 pages that are in the comic you can only own only 48 people can own them and you know by and large there's probably one guy who's got 10 of those pages because he's hoarding them and another guy's got five and then so that really only leaves you with 30 pages to be owned by you know people individually so that drives that's what drives the market and i think for the longest time uh you know people just kind of coasted on things but once you got into covid and you know the pandemic hit home i think people just started being like you know what i gotta i i'm gonna put my heart into this piece of art and i'm gonna spend a little bit more money on it and what happened was was that you know in any auction scenario you, you just need two people to be really interested in something to drive the price up on it and so we just started seeing prices on things go up but it was following the housing market you know very similarly i mean you can look at the housing market and say it's up 50 percent from where it was at the beginning of that but the comic art market is anywhere from 50 percent on the low end to 400 percent to 500 percent on the high end for things I mean, a piece of original art just sold for $3.3 million, and it shouldn't have, 
I mean, but somebody wanted it really bad, and uh, it's just kind of where things are at now. And uh, and and the big problem in the hobby today is that we as collectors, I mean, so we want to capital. Man, I'd like to sell a few pieces of my artwork, right? Because the the market is as hot as it's ever been. But the problem is, if I sell a page from a book that I love to try to ever replace it, is near impossible. So we're, as collectors, we're faced with this dilemma of uh, if if I sell it, I may never own one again because I can't afford it. You know, and then a lot of us are looking at the hobby and saying we can't we can't even be a player for the artwork that we used to be able to buy ten years ago. And that's true for me. I mean, I collected a lot of. Uh, X-Men art by John Byrne and 20 years ago I could buy a page for $2,500 it was still really that back then and that was like that was a high price really high price 20 years ago but today you can't touch a page of John Byrne X-Men art for $25,000 or you can but it's a low page very low so that's a you know that's a pretty huge markup in a 20-year period I mean the houses haven't gone up that much I could tell you comic books haven't you know gone up in that same kind of level but choice comic book artwork has and it comes back to the, the sl- supply and demand thing mm-hmm. that more collectors are kind of coming into the hobby and it, that helps drive up prices but um, but yeah it's, it makes it for a very challenging environment for those of us on a budget you know with kids going to college or, or those sorts of things it's not uh, it you know so it's sad in some ways but great in others because I've always felt that the that you know, like I told you earlier the art should be selling more than the comic books because they're one of a kind their art. I mean, you know, somebody on the outside could look at it and say, oh, it's just, you know, it's guys in tights, guys and girls in tights drawn on a page. Why is that important? You know, it's, but to me, it's a, it's a really unique, at least from Marvel and DC, a a part of American culture as a, as a, as a storytelling medium. And uh, it's huge in Europe. I mean, in Europe, they treat their artists and their writers like, uh, like gods. I mean, they literally, uh, European collectors are very different. I shouldn't say gods, they revere the, their talent as if they were William Shakespeare right I mean they 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 revere them in a way that that we don't necessarily do that here but I think we're beginning to as we we realize how important comics have been to uh, to most of our youths you know uh, growing up I mean comics were how many people learn to read and uh, and yeah I think that the, the art is definitely finally getting its due comics seems like the you know it was an easy place to kind of see that see value in it because they're tangible and you can hold them and you remember them but the art now is kind of reaching the status where I, that I always felt it should be at it should now they're having museum shows for comic book artists or gallery shows I mean that wouldn't have happened hardly at all 10 years ago five years ago but now it's happening because people are finally realizing or catching on that this is a it's an important medium and something that needs to be preserved and so you know as collectors we we realize, I mean, we're we're like the caretakers of this artwork. We have to take care of it. So there's all there's all sorts of like concerns that go into owning artwork. Cause it's like, what if I had a fire? You know, uh, what if I what if the my hot water tank blows and my basement floods? I mean, there's been stories of guys who've lost their entire collections. So and you figure that art is gone forever. It's irreplaceable. Right, right. You it's can't not fix a it. Copy. It's not a one of ten. No, no. And so it's a, original. So there's a huge responsibility just owning the artwork at the end of the day. And maybe 20 years ago we didn't think about it to you know in those terms but today we do that's a really cool way to think about it yeah 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 so um but back to the you know the way the shows have gone and so we so i tried to i wanted to keep involving you know will glenn and mike in shows because i felt like i owed it to them they were there they helped me out at the beginning to kind of get things started so so i would do like a heritage auction recap or whatever show whenever we could but 
say in the in that same fall we did a show where we talked about oh oh here was this is how it happened after a heritage show where we were talking about the high prices we were like why don't we do a show where we talk about art that's still affordable and uh and of course being three dealers they they're showing their own by and large their own art you know this stuff is still a good price guys and um so it was funny we actually kind of got a little bit of criticism for the show because we had never done anything where it was like marketing right we were it was always and so people thought people viewed it some people viewed it as we were kind of pandering a little bit by showing off artwork and uh but we were really i mean the idea into it was sincere that we were trying to we wanted people to know that you don't have to buy the most expensive pieces. I mean, you you know, if you want to own that, okay, you can't own John Byrne X Men, but you know, you could probably own a John Byrne She Hulk page or something lesser if you if you really are trying to get a good example by John Byrne. So we we talked about things in that in that nature, like how could how do you how do you thrive in a in a in a hobby that's kind of getting out of reach for you, and. But it, but it still went over fine. People were still enjoying it. But you know, they're on, the, on like one of the forums that I absolutely hate. People were like, "Oh, Bill's letting these guys like do you know pander to everybody. Screw those guys." Um, and and I didn't know that till after the show. But the show kind of ended where Mike, who's again been a longtime friend of mine, he he had a stack of his artwork by him, and he just started like holding the artwork up on the screen and showing it. You know, it's a pop mon. This it's a uh, Dick Giordano Batman sketch and he, he literally showed like he was like a used car salesman you know I'll paint it or, or a car painter I'll paint anything for you know whatever or, or Shive right he's doing one of these kinds of things where he's literally just holding art up and, and showed 30 pieces rapid fire at the end of the show because he was like I'm just going to show it like he had the stack there um, and I'm laughing you know the other two dealers were all kind of giggling about it and the show, the show ends. I'm like, all right, Mike, you got to stop, stop doing that. And the show ends, and um, literally, so we're all talking in the green room after the show. Mike's getting emails. Hey, I saw you were holding up that Captain America page. What's the price on it? Because he wasn't talking price. He was just showing art. Right. And so he's he's like, I got another one and another one. And then even Will and Glenn got emails about you know, hey, I saw you know, what, what can you? What's your best price on this piece that you showed you know earlier? So, so we're all talking in the green room while that's this is going on, and I even said to the three of them, I'm like, you know, we should probably think about doing a sales show, you know, here. You know, I think it could selling artwork through this thing might work. And I'd already I mentioned that once to them before, but nobody was really interested in it at the time. So this time around, Mike was like, yeah, that was fun, and look, I've got you know four guys wanting to buy art from me. But the other two dealers were like, no, no, you know, they were the, they were the guys who didn't want to be overexposed. They didn't want to. They, they thought it was wouldn't work, you know, even though clearly it would. So I kind of left it at that, and that might have been, say, November 2020. But then, so in uh, the first of uh, in January of 2021, one of those other two dealers came to me and said, hey, next week I'm going to be doing a sales sh- an art comic art sales show with. Uh, with with somebody who I was just getting familiar with, uh, Nick Barucci, who um, was starting his own like network on uh, YouTube and Facebook called The Experience, and uh, I didn't know I didn't know Nick very well at the time. Nick's actually one of the people who's going to be on my show tonight selling art, but uh, Nick's the publisher of. Uh, Dynamite Entertainment slash Dynamic Forces is you know he's a he's also if you've ever seen the boys on uh, um, Amazon Prime as a as sure. a, yeah he's he's the he's the producer of that because the Very boys cool. is okay. the boys is published or uh, published by Dynamite 
and uh, and yeah, Nick. I don't know when Nick sleeps because he literally is. He emails me every like at three in the three in the, in the morning all the time. I don't think he does sleep, but so Nick's starting this whole new concept of a of a whole channel called the Experience, and one of the shows is going to be Will with Nick, and and just drops it out of the blue, and he, and I, and I was so I was mad. I was like. Will, how could you do that? You wouldn't do a sales show with me, and you're gonna, you know, you're gonna do a sales show with Nick, uh, you know, on Nick's new channel, and uh, and so I was, I was a little upset, but um, at the end of the day, you know, uh, we haven't talked about it now, but with the pandemic, claim sales shows have become really, really popular on the on the internet. They were pop- popular beforehand, but um, but I never really wanted to do, I didn't want to do a regular claim show because I just felt it would be boring. And also, for me being, you know, I've, I've got 40 comic art dealer clients. I didn't want to limit myself to doing a show where I just worked with one dealer at a time trying to sell their artwork. Yeah, for the, and for the listeners too, that claim show is like each asset has like a number attached to it. Yeah. And then you just, in the comments, you're like, oh, I want number one. Oh, I want number two. And you right. Yeah, you call them lot, yeah, like lot number one, lot number two. Yep. A lot of times on comic book shows, they would literally have like a standee in front of them and they would put that comic book on the standee and would have a post-it note that says lot number 20 on it. And they'd say, lot number 20, it's this comic book. It's $50. First person in the chat that claims it, uh, that claims lot 20, gets it. And, uh, and so... And so that was comic shop's way of like surviving in the pandemic because all these stores are still closed, right? By and large, nobody's going into a store anywhere. I mean, in, in downtown Chardon, uh, the uh, what was the White Barn was doing regular claim shows, right? Uh, as well, I mean, it was so it was really common everywhere. Anybody that had that couldn't open their doors were finding ways to sell and using Facebook and YouTube as means to do it, and. At, throughout this time too, I had done a f- several shows with another art dealer named Anthony Snyder, and they were they were more just kind of interview shows. But we were showing off some stuff that he, new artwork he got in, and he was always after me to do a, a claim sale show, and I didn't. I just kept telling him, putting him off. I didn't want to do it. But so when Will and uh, Nick Barucci decided to do this show, it's like, well, I've, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a, my own show. I don't know what it is yet. So that. Uh, this their show was going to start a week from that day on a Thursday, and uh, it wasn't even a week. It was like this is like a Tuesday. There's, the show is two days from now, so I'm like I can't beat them. I can't get a show out first, but I but I'm definitely going to have a show before they do their second show. So I gave you know I knew I had a week to figure out how am I going to come up with a format that's better that I think will be you know will be a better format to sell because I just kept thinking it's going to be a claim sale show you know that they're going to do and it's just not going to be won't be as interesting, you know, as uh, what, I don't know. Again, it won't be me because I'm not going to do that. And uh, I just happened to be in the green room with Mike that night because this is a Tuesday. We had just finished a dealer show with Will and Glenn. Will and Glenn left and Mike and I were in there and we were arguing about politics or something like that. And uh, and I know because Mike's kind of on one side of the political spectrum and when we were arguing, and I'm more in the middle, and so while we were, you know, pol- politely arguing about something, I, I, it just hit me because I, I, I thought about Anthony. Anthony is like on the far other side of the political spectrum. And I had this vision of me sitting in between Mike and Anthony and uh, being the arbiter of a, of a disagreement and making that into a, uh, a claim sale show. And so I, I immediately kind of galvanized the idea of it being like a boxing match and having rounds and having a winner at the end. 
So it's not just you know claim sell show. You're just showing stuff. I'm going to very entertaining. I'm going to have two guys trying to compete for your hard-earned cash, which is a part of the intro that I always say. Two dealers competing for your hard-earned cash. You know, mm-hmm. it was like the intro line to the uh, to the show, and I just felt like. You know, these two guys could could really carry it because Mike was always a very outgoing, you know, fun, uh, in his own way kind of personality. Anthony has uh, he's actually had some sales shows in the past or talk shows before. So, and he's the son of Jimmy the Greek, so he has this, uh, you know, out, very uh, large personality. They both do, and that's why I felt like. And then you put me in the middle, who's more of I'm just trying to keep everybody happy. Uh, you know, I'm like this. This is the format. This is this is what will work, and it and it's structured right too because you know. That, so I, the, rather than having lot numbers, it, you know, we had round numbers, and so it was like round one. You know, so anybody who wants to claim an artwork just had to say claim Mike uh, one. You know, and we knew what piece of art they were going to talk about. So so we ended up having our show that uh, that Wednesday. It was like the 26th of of uh, January, so the day before. Uh, Will and Nick's second show, because their first show, I, I don't, I don't know if they sold anything on their first show, but their show was more, ended up being more of a talk show kind of, and and they were showing art because, because again, it's like this is a this is all new territory for all, for everybody, any you know anybody, but um, so we did our show, and the first show was a just going to be ten rounds, and it was all a, you know I I didn't tell people anything about the show going into it, I I, ma- I made Mike and Anthony swear to secrecy about who I was doing it with. Um, leading up to it, I just talked about the fact that I was working with two sellers, and we uh, and I, I wouldn't. Where did you advertise that? Like, hey, oh, through my through to my comic art fans list mailing list. I had ten thousand. I've got like ten thousand people in the mailing list, so I was letting everybody know about it that we were going to do this thing, and uh, but I wouldn't tell anybody who. Like, they were silhouettes, you know, on the on the Smart, on yeah. the PR, and it was and you could tell it was everybody knew what it was like the Hulk versus the thing was the the silhouettes because it's from a comic book so i had myself in the middle of this image and uh and and so that's how we did it we promoted it that way and the show you know the show starts it's just me and I'm, i mean i'm totally nervous because you know this is me this is this is like building comic art fans and releasing it to the public this is like building chips and hoping people show up right here i'm doing something where i'm i've never done it before and i'm nervous as hell and uh and what and it was just amazing. I think that first show we probably had 150 people watching it live, and and it and it was fun. I mean, as it turned out, you know, I do the intro. I bring them both on. Their personalities are as large as I had hoped. They there was a you know I was thinking there'd be more banter between the two of them because by and large, I mean dealers compete with one another, and these two guys are working in a you know they they kind of compete for the same artwork to buy and sell because it's more more older things but the thing is the reason they were great not only were their personalities the right ones but they also both had like deep inventories of artwork i knew they could do if this worked and it became a weekly show these guys could do a weekly show because they've got anthony has like twenty five thousand pieces of art for sale at any given time mike's always got say four thousand pieces of art on his site but he's got Twelve thousand pieces of art laying around uh, in his office that he's never taken the time to scan. So I, I knew that both guys could do a show like this. So the show went off, and it was it was it was fun. I mean, we, we had a good time. It was actually more fun than I thought it was going to be, and we all kind of 
kind of slid into our roles of me being the MC slash moderators, moving us through the 10 rounds and them just, you know, holding up the artwork as well. I, had, I was showing big scans of the artwork on, on the screen, but, you know, they would be holding the art and talking about it. And I, I think even on that first show, we might have only sold like uh, four or five things. And, you know, it's funny, literally the first piece of art Mike held up was bought by somebody who's become like, you know, a great friend of mine, you know, and, it, I, and I, I don't know if he even wanted it, but I think he wanted to make sure that we had a sale. He was part of, he was part of that. He wanted to be, he, he wanted to buy that first piece of art, right? That cool. came up on screen and we were like, and it, so in a, in a weird way, it was like the first one sold and I'm like, it can't be this easy, right? It's not, you know, and of course the rest of the show, we, we show another 19 pieces and we only sell two or three or four, maybe. It definitely was not over five sales, but, but we had fun doing it. And so we, we you know, the show's over, we're in the green room. And Is there I, a theme to that show, by the way? No, there, the, there really wasn't, other than just the fact that I, I wanted them, to, you know, pitting two dealers against each okay. other. So a theme, yeah, it's a boxing match. The boxing match. We yep. literally were just thinking of it as a boxing match. Okay. And, and the boxing match was really just to keep the, to, to have a structure to flow the, the sales through. And and again, so it's not not like anything else that's out there. Nobody's trying to make claim sales fun, you know, because nobody's really having fun. We're all in the pandemic, right? right? We're try <laughs> these guys are trying to sell at comic shops or white barn. We're trying to just put food on the table, right? So these yep. things aren't supposed to be fun. And and but I, again, that's why I didn't want to do it because I knew it wouldn't be fun if that's what we were going to do. So we had a, so we just made it fun by me putting two people who I knew were going to be loud, and humorous in their own way and I just had to find a way to make that chemistry work and now, prior to that show what was your views uh, how many views were you having in like, your prior shows like an average show an interview show we'd have 50 60 people watching the show live and then okay, maybe so I see 100 or 150 so we have 150 show people show okay. up on this and, and up until then I don't think I'd had any really major interviews like I did an interview um, thanks to Glenn one of the dealers he brought on uh, Rob Liefeld and we, I think for that interview we might have had a 180 people watching live. He's a really important creator from the 90s and a uh, really well-spoken guy. And so, you know, but I think that even happened after that first episode. So I'd never had so many people tuning in and then seeing so many people in the chat chatting, you know, whether they're talking about the art we're showing or not. Uh, just, it was just, it was, it was fun. So when we were in the green room afterwards, I had, you know, one of, Glenn calls me up. He's like, I want to be on the show. When can I, I want to be on the show next week. How do I get to be on? That was great. That was great. And, uh, and I told him, I'm like, God, you know, I, cause I'm really thinking it stunk, right? It didn't, we didn't sell all the art. We didn't, uh, make a whole lot of money. And just so, you know, going into it, I didn't want anything. I was like, let's just do this show together to make some content that's new to the channel so that's what i pitched to mike and anthony i'm like i just want to do it because i think it i think it has a chance to do something fun but i don't even want any money for it so 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 here's so glenn's calling me he wants on uh, you know i got emailed from will you know he wants on and, and i was just i just told the guys i'm like just wait you know wait give me like six shows under my belt so i can actually feel like i know what i'm doing with a format because the way i showed the images was bad there, you know, there was, I, I just wasn't prepared for it because we didn't give ourselves a, even a week to put this concept together and put it out there. But you could tell that there was a lot of excitement about the whole concept. And again, putting Anthony and Mike on screen together was was lightning in a bottle because they they're just their personalities were really big. And like Anthony's wife Sharon came in as part of the show, not not intentionally, but she like brought him a piece of cake. Are you hungry? She hands him a piece of cake. 
and uh, and it was literally after round eight. And so, like when we were talking about the show after that, I'm like, you know what, Sharon should bring you a piece of cake every episode. That was a fun break in the show, you know, to have her do that. So after, so what became norm was Sharon would actually bake a themed cake comic related typically and bring it out and show it at the end of round eight and uh so you know we just started doing things like that and but it was immediately clear to me well okay not immediately i'd say after the second episode i realized wow there's so many funny things happening in here in this show that i should be i should start showing like memes like video related you know memes of things you know we're used to so many things like the grumpy cat memes and stuff like that well i'm gonna do video memes of mike being mad that he didn't get a sale Anthony, you know, going rah rah rah. I just got a sale, so because it was happening, you know, like, and I thought, and this would be a funny way to like, okay, to show at the end of a round, say Mike makes a sale, I'll show a winning meme. He's excited, uh, or he doesn't sell anything. He's sad, and but we'll make him comically funny in some weird way. So after that second episode, for one, I found like a green tarp, and I started. I shot myself on some green screens. Where I was saying no sale, you know, and and, and I was wearing like a, a shark skin jacket, like I was, you know, on a game show, and and or and doing similar things like that, and I got both Mike and Anthony in the studio and recorded them, uh, you know, Mike Mike's a big Spider-Man fan, so he would do this thwip 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 Excelsior, he'd be screaming and uh, and just and silly things like that I had Mike lift up a piece of paper as if it was a piece of art and rip it in half because he was so mad you know what he'd be screaming what what I can't believe I didn't sell that rip you know and so just dumb things like that and Anthony and Sharon they got together on theirs and they had like a money gun they were shooting they, they put like a boa of you know dollar bills around his neck and he's shooting you know and she's shooting a money gun around him or pouring poker chips on him or you know just silly things right yep. so by episode three I, you know I, I started injecting that into the show so not only were we we already we had their big personalities to kind of move us through it but now we're going to be showing funny things in between rounds and that was and that that was the thing that the show just like was it was electric after that because people were looking forward to seeing what were we going to show as, a, as yep. a meme and we'd hold them back so we'd so every show uh, became how could we top the memes we did the week before how, how could we you know keep things interesting but by episode three I was I was running both uh, my you know I've got my screen that's showing me on it but I was running a second screen in a second browser that was showing the score and it was really became impossible and changing round numbers and things like that so I was like my god I can't do I can't focus on being a great MC if I have to keep changing the scores in between rounds and I'm taking notes on the sales who bought it um, so I went to uh, Maureen and my daughter Gwen and I said can you guys help me in the studio can you just like Gwen can you be a spotter on the chat so I don't miss a claim uh, Maureen could you just start running the memes for me and uh, and managing that fourth window that we show during the during the, uh, the bout so that she can change the round number she can be adding up the total sales score so we can show them live because I wasn't being able to keep up with stuff, or, or we'd have to wait in between the rounds for me to add the new score because people wanted to see who won. I mean, that became a part of, you know, that was kind of why we did it, right? We were, it was a boxing match. Somebody's winning and somebody's losing, and showing that real time was was, you know, was what also was really important. So Maureen and Gwen agreed to do it, 
and uh, and it just made my life easier because then I could actually just focus on keeping the show moving as fast as I, as we could get it and uh, keeping everybody engaged and and really becoming that uh, that Johnny Carson guy just kind of moving the show along and it it felt felt really good but we so we just started doing more of that more more memes we would you know we started doing theme shows as far as uh, you know like the Loki show came out on Disney you know I bought a Loki uh, helmet and shirt and we and I would film memes about me as Loki and uh, and then Anthony and Sharon would started started doing their own thing too and we started filming just every weekend it seemed like we would get together Mike and I would get together because I had him buy a green screen at his house in Kent and we would film things there um, by the 20th episode we did well Mike has this habit of calling pretty much everybody his little buddy like he's the skipper on Gilligan's Island and so we had a meme where I was like I'm not your little buddy you know because he was always calling me his little buddy during the show and so people started calling me Billigan in the chat you know and so I did a. I actually went out and bought a Gilligan shirt and hat and did some filming of me as Billigan, and people loved it. That was like the thing. It was just joking about me as Billigan, and I had tucked my my long hair underneath the hat. It didn't even look like me. It is a really good meme, by the way. Our listeners should go ahead and just jump on YouTube real quick. And it, I think I just typed in uh, comic art fans. I think that's what. Or comic up. art live, or yeah. The, um, dueling. Yeah, dueling dealers. Dueling dealers, yeah. and uh, it showed up as like the top video to look at real quick. It's yeah. like ten seconds, but it's it's good. It it's really impressive. Like you guys have created this for the entertainment purpose, but you're also like you're getting stuff done during this, and it, like all that work you're putting in right. for your audience to keep them coming back and back and back, um, achieving the goals. In the meantime, you're you're allowing your fans to actually get a hold of artwork that they probably wouldn't see anywhere else or they have to wait they'd have to wait till the dealers post it on every six months maybe for or, a con if it's going to come up yeah or buying it from the dealers online so that so mike and anthony just started doing uh where they would get new art in that week they were only trying to sell it on dueling dealers I mean, we had shows where say by the 10th 10th show i bet you we hit sixty thousand dollars in sales where we would sell uh you know because we, we modified the format a little bit but what, and it was around like around the fifth or sixth episode. We still weren't like breaking big numbers. You know, we were still around, maybe around ten thousand in sales, twelve thousand in sales. And I'd come up with the idea of doing a recap after we got through the twelve or fifteen rounds. We that we would recap what didn't sell. And so that happened around show the, the sixth show. And what what happened was we, when we would do the recap, it encouraged people to make offers more than buy it at the sticker price people were afraid to maybe make an offer during the show while we were going through the rounds in the, in the initial shows they aren't afraid of that anymore but uh, during around that episode six we did that and in the recap we sold say as much as we did in then the first 15 rounds because either people had more time to think about it now and we started encouraging people to take notes on what pieces they wanted so they were they know hey remember it was lot 10 you, you know that mike had you might want to you know, if you if you really want it, you should make a note of it. Maybe make an offer before we get to the recap. You know, around it, around lot, around say round twelve or something. And um, so the, the recap is was the thing that catapulted the show to the wild success that it had. Uh, you know, just because it gave people that extra opportunity, more time to think. Because you, you show a five thousand dollar piece of art. It's kind of tough to like pull the trigger in a thirty-second window sure. to say you're going to buy it. You just you're just seeing it for the first time, 
right? But you, sh you show that in round 10 and then show it again as one of the last items in the recap. Now they've had 15 minutes to think about it. Maybe they offer the, uh, offer the seller $4,800 uh, you know, rather than paying the, the sticker at five, but that got the deal done. And uh, and I should add that by the end of episode two, I knew that this was going to be successful. So I went back to the dealers and I said, I need to be getting a percentage of sales. So because I, I can see this is working out and I'm putting a lot of time into this because, you know, at the, even at that point before Maureen and Gwen were part of it, I they were really, I knew that the level of involvement I was going to have to make this show successful, I had to be compensated somehow. So, so I worked out deals with them, you know, so that I was uh, and am today compensated for doing those those shows. But, um, but yeah, so the recap really helped out a lot. And the fun thing was was that we ended up having like immediately a guy named Jordan and Dino came to me wanting to do an amateur show, but a couple of collectors wanted to do it, and I'm like, oh, this is cool. Now we, because I I wanted dueling dealers to allow me to work with anybody i really felt like i would get guest dealers coming in you know will and glenn who who wanted to work with me on the show uh that i put off they ended up doing their, their own show they wanted to do a show you know they wanted to do a show on my channel but it was a straight ripoff copy of, of my show even though they're like it's unique it's unique it's not like yours at all it was exactly like ours uh I, and so we kind of we kind of went our separate ways because of that falling out. But the thing was, again, bringing in collectors wanting to be on on this format was uh, was just again it added a, a, another level to how fun the show could be doing amateur based shows between two collectors because again people wanting to be a part of it it's just like the interviews people wanting to get interviewed now they want to be a part of the sales show too and uh, and the, the first show we did with uh, with Dino he sold more. He sold every piece, all 15 pieces. It, it, it made one of the most, we had this, he had a piece of art in round 15 that everybody wanted. Maybe they didn't know it, but literally like 20 people tried to claim it. And I had to scroll through it just to find it. And so it's become like, we, the show started becoming these you know lexicon of sayings, but claim 15 Dino became like, that was like a running joke. It's still a running joke today because claim 15 Dino was like the most sought after piece of artwork that we had shown up until that point. And it was just chaotic, and, uh, and and when Dino did that show, he had the most sales individually at that moment. I think he sold thirty-two thousand dollars for the show, and uh, I think that show sold more combined than any show that Mike or Anthony had done. So that fueled them to want to like bring better artwork too. Interesting, yeah. And um, you know, but so even after that, I worked. I did another show with with Jordan and Dino as a second amateur show, and I've done lots of other amateur amateur shows since then. Like tonight, I have a have a show between Nick and Jordan. It's our eleventh amateur show, but but so that that just increased my revenue stream now too because now I'm bringing in extra shows. I wasn't doing that show in place of the Wednesday night dueling dealers show with Mike and Anthony. I was doing that on a Monday, so now I'm doing two sales shows on the weeks when I would have an amateur show, and. And, and but we would do the same things. I would still do this. I'd have them film memes ahead of time, you know, winning and losing. So now they now that our viewers are getting the comedic uh, bent of the collectors. You know, Dinos were always just really unique and funny, and uh, not like the ones that we we were doing unique and funny. But it was his own. Jordan's the same. So so the shows just you know they just really evolved and like really this really highlighted the people's personalities that were there you know that were that were coming to the coming to sell artwork and it just made it 
it made it great. I mean, so as a community, we all just, it was fun to just hang out and watch these shows. I mean, we'd, so the evolution became that, you know, even today, we always have 250 people watching the shows live. That's impressive. And how many episodes? Uh, we are at episode 66 with Mike and Anthony, and then 11, the 11th Amateur Show now. And that's just over, you know, that's what, 15 months into doing it. Yep. So and, and that and it's spun off me doing direct sale shows too. I, I've had a few dealers that came to me and said, "Hey, you know, can we do like a an art drop?" An art drop is like when when a dealer maybe posts forty new pieces on his site, and they were like, and so I had, had a couple of dealers come to me and say, "How about we do an art drop live?" I'll even have a couple of my artists be there, and uh, you know we'll sell artwork as well. And, and you know, and I'm like, okay, as long as I get my commission, I'll do it. And so we started doing some of those shows, uh, and those became hits you know well that went really well and um but but yeah the dueling dealers thing was just again to me it was a was a high point for me because i'm the video editing was fun it was me being creative and uh, you know it goes back to me my time in art school right i really felt like from the time i left art school i really didn't make art right but here i'm i'm actually making art and i'm being an entertainer and and i'm funny i mean or trying to be funny you know maybe i'm not all the time but that's okay because uh, but it's a, so it's a whole new bent for me because again it's back to I was so introverted from college till whenever you know and 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 the thing is and I'll say this I, I firmly believe it Chips Clubhouse changed all of those things for me because I had to be I had to be an MC at, at Chips Clubhouse when somebody walked through the door I had to greet him I had to talk to him and I just kind of learned how to be a good uh, you know a, a good host by working at Chips and being there and, and learning how to just you know sell the golf course and the experience at chips clubhouse and uh, and it, that that so chips really actually groomed me for the these live streams and dueling dealers was that thing that the vehicle for me that just let me uh just be myself and even when i'm not funny it's funny right i mean even if i'm totally the joke falls flat people are still laughing because they're like there's bill trying to be funny just, you, you know you, right and so, so you know, and I and I know it when it's not funny because nobody's laughing in the chat. You know, they're not saying something stupid to me, but uh, you know, or Mike and Anthony don't laugh at when they come when we all come back on screen. But um, but but it's just a part of the show. And so, as part of the show, we always film us. I always have a, an intro for it because these and the intros are unique to what theme we might be doing. So uh, you know, I I was always dressing up as Thor and Loki because of my long blonde hair, definitely on the Thor side. People are always wanting to see that. So, you know, I'd have Thor and Loki, you know, fighting each other, you know, as part of the intro. But part of the intro was always about showing, like, what Mike's current uh, and Anthony's their scores are and how much they've sold. So that, that's why the, every intro has to have a new one because it's a, it's in a to, new totals from the week before. But, you know, but, it, but again, it made me be creative and always try to look at, uh, look at how I can one-up myself or at least try to do something better show after show and uh but again it evolved into the ep episode 20 we did a, a complete theme show telling a story for billigan's island you know which was a five it was a story told in five parts of uh, billigan finding a treasure map to uh buried comic art at least he thinks it's comic art on the other side of the island and so the story is all about us trying to get to the other side of the island and of course we get stuck in quicksand the howls get chased by an elephant. The skipper and Billigan get chased by a gorilla. Um, my daughters were involved in that one because they were Ginger and Marianne, and that was the first time we had really involved anybody 
you know, else like that with, with my girls being a part of it. But it was a totally funny show. I, I did a green screen behind me and had a hut from the show, you know, as, as a part of, uh, part of that. And I've never done it again because it actually, I didn't enjoy doing a green screen behind me during the show. But, you know, we did it. The girls hit me in the face with a pie at the end of it. We just tried to just make, make it as funny as possible. And it was probably one of our, you know, one of our best viewed episodes live. I think we probably came close to like 300 people watching it, but we made it, we hyped it up. You know, it's Billigan's Island. It's going to be fun. And, and again, everybody just enjoyed that. Everybody enjoyed getting to, getting to laugh at something that, you know, again, and, and it's still COVID. We still have no cons, you know, nobody's getting together uh, out in the real world still. And, um, yeah, it's gonna be interesting when a con does come up, though. There's, you'll be able to capitalize on like the themes you've been created. Oh yeah, the I can't. That are there, um, the, the the entertainment will be different because it's what has been going on for the last two years and mm-hmm. how it's incorporated into real life. Right. Um, I think that a lot of folks that are into online sales or they're gonna do claim sales or auctions, they should take a page out of your book if they're really interested in making it the best experience for your audience as possible. You've just you've enjoyed doing that. That you're taking your background in that you've listened to what does your audience actually like. You've capitalized on that. You put in the work to do it. And right, that is really, right. I think that's definitely part of your success. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and just sum up kind of where we're at, and then like the next segment which we should definitely get into. Mm-hmm. And that's like COVID. You've pivoted, which is that word that like a lot of successful businesses have done. You've taken calf from like your online internet presence and moved it into how can we get in front of our audience give them something that they can't have right now let's do that let's do real let's be really good at that the best mm-hmm. in the industry to stay at the top there and you've been giving 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 content which has been like which is something that like entrepreneurs should be doing is giving 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 and then the uh, the reciprocating success will come as a result so that's kind of where you were at and then we're going to talk about like where you're going which is mm. like actually leaving from chardon right spoiler which i would love for you to get into hey i wanted to take a moment to say thank you very much for having a listen i hope you had a lot of fun hearing about the background stories about the businesses that you drive by every day for more information about chardon biz and also more information about chardon physical therapy go ahead and visit chardonpt.com that's p is in physical T as in therapy, chardonpt.com. Also go ahead and subscribe so that you can have a listen next week.